0: How you doing, guys? And welcome to another episode of the Walk the Line podcast, hosted by me, Ryan Walker. Guys, I am extremely excited for today's episode. Today, I am speaking to Michael Hilliard. Now, Michael is a world-renowned journalist who's travelled the globe, seen a lot of places, great stories. He's been to... Some harrowing places, some war zones And he's got some great stories which he shares with us on this podcast um, One of the highlights of it is when he talks about Where he had to be smuggled into the back of a car Trying to get across the Turkish border Because uh, the Turkish secret police were after him And uh, the story is fascinating and a little bit funny as well So I hope you enjoy that one Michael also hosts the Red Line podcast. Now, the Red Line podcast is extremely successful, which talks about hard-hitting subjects, um, very political, talks about foreign policy, um, secret armies, all that sort of stuff. And he has interviewed some senior, senior officials in the, uh, in the world going from CIA and NSA advisors from University Professors of Cambridge and also um, New York Times uh, journalists as well. So Michael knows his stuff, he's got a lot of interesting stories and we had a great good chat. We talked about um, different countries he's been to, his experiences, we talked about both when we were in Afghanistan as well, and some few stories on that. Um, so, guys, hope you enjoy it. Um, please like, comment, subscribe, whatever you want to do, share it with your friends, and, yeah, enjoy.
1: Awesome. Ready when you are.
0: Brilliant. How you doing, Mike? You okay? Very good. Good to be here. Fantastic. Thanks for jumping on. It's, uh, it's, it's great. I have a... A little look at your uh, podcast the red line and it's uh, it's it's very uh, it's very good sort of thing i was listening to it about talking about different people and all that sort of things and uh, the people you've actually been chatting to um very high profile people in the, the industry it's uh it's like the people from the cia and all that sort of stuff and uh, um, professors from cambridge and stuff is that not a little bit intimidating when you actually speak to these sort of people
1: incredibly intimidating um you know it's it's this weird juxtaposition that you know you're talking to a guy you know who's headed some program that is you know it made the whole war in libya or designed the drone program or done something insane but it also humanizes because there's i won't name who names but there are a lot of professors who are top of their field they've decided that they've affected the lives of millions of people but they can't operate Google Chrome to save their lives. And you have to give them a call and go, no, 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 don't click the big E, Go Google Chrome. Yep, nice, cool, you're in the interview with me. So it's a very weird, you know, some of the
0: uh, the smartest people can't operate simple technology. So you have to tell them to stay away from Internet Explorer. Well, it's not called Explorer anymore, is it? It's called something different. They tried to edge, that's what it is, isn't it? I don't think I've clicked on it since 96, but still. I think the only thing that Microsoft Edge is good at is to download Chrome. I think that's the first <laughs> thing people do, you know, and they still try. Even I tried it my, when I got my uh, last laptop. When you download Chrome, it's uh, through uh, Microsoft. It says, are you sure you want to use Edge? We can do it. No, no. Give me Chrome. Come on.
1: <laughs> yeah, that, that decision is. lasts about two seconds and you're like, no, no, no. Chrome, thank
0: you. I uh, know. Exactly. Yeah. So I know you've been, you've, you've talked to all these guys. I mean, what sort of, how do you get, really get in touch with them sort of thing? Because, I understand they've got like kind of high-profile jobs. They've got high-profile kind of in an industry, like, um, which is quite – some of them are quite secret sort of thing. How do you really kind of get in front of them and speak to them and stuff like that? A,
1: a bit of luck. Uh, fortunately, I, I, I've spent a lot of time in war zones and, uh, and odd countries around the world. And when you go into sort of a, a bar in downtown Uzbekistan or the backwaters of Turkey – the only people at the bar are locals, arms dealers, drug dealers or journalists uh, or politicians <laughs> there for certain reasons. So when you and I, I have a penchant for vodka and red wine, so I, I'll usually have a drink with a lot of people and then, you know, they, once you get into that sort of, you meet a few people, it's, you know, I have a friends in the industry who I can call and go, hey, look, I want someone from the CIA or I want someone from, you know, an expert on Guyana and my friends are like, oh, yeah, 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 I know a guy who works Guyana Here's his email, and uh, yeah, otherwise people know other people. You know, I just chat to in various
0: WhatsApp groups, and uh, yeah, just chat with everyone and say, "Doing a piece on Nagoro Karabakh, Who would you recommend?" Wow, I tell you what, your phone contacts must be interesting to have a look at. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of uh, numbers that are kept in a book, and there's a lot of
1: numbers that I keep in my phone, there's a big difference yeah, you between the two. Of them.
0: Yeah, you just don't want to keep certain numbers on your phone just in case if you lose your phone, it'll be like you'll just let your heart will drop. And go, oh crap. Oh, no. Well, that's that's
1: the, that's the terrifying thing because obviously for my job and everything else, I, I get sent some sensitive materials. Yeah. But when I go travel to places like war zones in Russia and whatnot, my computer has to get scrubbed, uh, incredibly clean because the last thing I
0: want to do is get through the border and then get caught with something I shouldn't have. Oh, God, yeah, that's, that's when it's a uh, squeaky bum time, isn't it? It's like in the back, <laughs> the, 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 the rubber gloves on. You're like, ah, oh, not again. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes, my Russian is just good enough to beg for my life.
0: I think you just came back from Russia. Was that right just at the beginning of the year? Uh,
1: yes, yeah, I did. Uh, we did a piece. I went to Germany to go meet with a few friends from The Times, uh, the Daily, um, the, uh, Daily Beast and the U.S. State Department. We hung out in Germany. Uh, And then I went off to Moldova to do a piece on Transnistria, which is the sort of breakaway Soviet Republic between uh, Moldova and Ukraine. Uh, And then afterwards, we went to Moscow for New Year's. Uh, And then I've always wanted to see the Northern Northern Lights, but I'm a bit cheap. So rather than go to Norway, we went up to uh, Murmansk, which is up in the Arctic. Um, (laughs) And I spent, yeah, January in with absolutely no sunlight
0: in freezing temperatures right up in the Arctic Circle. Well, I was going to say, oh, if you get that far north, there isn't much sunlight up there, is it? It's just like, it's like constant darkness all the time.
1: Pretty much. Like, when we got there, my, my girlfriend sort of Googled, you know, when sunrise, and it went January 19th. I went, oh, okay. <laughs> God, so I'd say yeah, yeah, pretty much. Like, the lightest it'll get is kind of dusk is the lightest it will ever get. Um, like, the streetlights are off for,
0: like, just a couple of hours a day, really. Wow, I just reminds me of that film back and that that old film, that old horror film, was it Thirty Days of Night? When it's mm. like uh, they're in there and it's all these stuff starts happening and all uh, that the, the the kind of vampires start coming and taking over the town. That's, that would freak me out if I was in that situation. I'd be like, oh, I'm getting reminded of something I don't want to get reminded of.
1: <laughs> I think the worst bit is is you know in Australia, obviously the sun's pretty consistent where we are. So, you know, when yes. the sun goes down, everyone goes, oh, it was time for the pub. You know, the sun's gone down. But then you kind of get this, you're sitting in the arc, you go, oh, it was time for the pub. And then you realise it's 10 in the morning. And you go, ah, oh, it's not time for the pub.
0: <laughs> not yet. <laughs> not yet. Got a few. Not yet. That's what I was, that's always, when I was doing this, normally when I do a podcast like this, it's, um, I normally have a few drinks and that sort of stuff, just to kind of, I guess it's like a tradition sort of thing. But obviously it's um, not uh, over here, it's half 11 in the morning. Really, <laughs> I was debating myself. It's like, is it is it right? Can I can I get, get on it right now? That's <laughs> just like mm, look. Maybe
1: I live in the time zone of my guests, so you know you might as well live in my time zone because over here it's uh, about seven at night. So it is. You know, I had a cider before I came on. If that helps.
0: Oh there you go. I might as well now. That that gives me a great excuse not uh, to, I, uh, exactly, uh, to. Exactly, exactly. The role movie sort of thing. So it's been crazy. I mean, we are stuck in with this uh, over here. Uh, mm. We're currently on lockdown in, U- in the UK. It's been absolutely crazy over the past few weeks. But you you guys over here in the western side of Australia, you, you guys are doing okay with this, uh, the, the COVID-19, the coronavirus stuff at the moment, aren't you?
1: Yeah, we are very lucky. Uh, we have quite a good state government in place at the moment. Um, and we just lucked out, uh, effectively, because, you know, Australia being so far away, and the fact it all kind of happened before, like, happened to you guys. Kind of, We watched China go, and then we watched Europe go, it yeah. kind of made rather than Europe, who you know kind of didn't take it very seriously when it first kicked in, we got that we got to see the the bodies coming out of Italy, and everyone went, okay, yeah, this is serious, uh, and yeah. we locked down pretty quick. So today, as of a couple of hours ago, we just announced that today is the first day we've recorded zero new cases today. Um, yeah. Now we've only got 108 active cases left in the state, so we're we're projecting within you know probably within seven to eight days we will be at zero cases throughout the entire state.
0: You can, well, that's, that's really good. I mean, we're over here. We've been put on for the lockdown for three weeks now over yeah. here in the UK. So it's, uh, it's a bit mental. I mean, we, I mean, last week I actually seen, I was outside my garden, the police are actually flying drones up in the sky because it was like Easter bank holiday and it was beautiful sunshine. Flying yeah. drones run about to check on people to make sure that they're not having parties and not doing government guidelines and stuff. So it's a bit surreal. It's like Christ. It's like something in like a Hollywood film
1: yeah it's it's super weird i've never seen anything like this and i don't think we will for for a long time um but yeah effectively our government's really weird on their restrictions like we're allowed to buy two bottles of a bottle of vodka and three bottles of wine but not two bottles of vodka
0: or we can buy a vodka and a carton of beer but not four bottles of wine it's very weird (laughs) at least at least they're keeping like kind of restrictions sensible but um, yeah. we, actually, I went to the shop the other day there actually to get, obviously, necessities and uh, I tried to get a few beers. There was no beer on the shelf. I was devastated. I couldn't believe it. I was like, what is going on with people? Why are they bringing so much beer? I want some as
1: well. Well, that's the, that's the thing. when it first kicked off. The most insane thing is I went to the, uh, you know, uh, I don't know what you guys would call them. We call them bottle shops here, like a liquor store. Um, yeah, but I went down license, there. Yeah. yeah, off license is what you guys call it. Um, and effectively, all the beer was gone except for Corona beer. and That made me laugh. Quite a lot. <laughs> That's the only yeah. one
0: nobody wants to have. That, do they? No, I was
1: I was at a party, a Zoom party, uh, with and the health minister for the state was on the party as well. I had, had asked him I was like, hey, why you know we've we've limited some alcohol, but you know we haven't limited all alcohol. What's going on? He goes, oh, our hospitals couldn't handle that many people detoxing at once because there's so many because Australia West, Australians are quite <laughs> we're drunks effectively. Uh, they were too worried about I'm, so I'm, many. It's just got, it's-
0: Scottish thing as well. I know exactly what you're talking about.
1: <laughs> exactly. They were, They literally went, no, we let's let them keep drinking because too many people detoxing at once will overload our hospital system. So there was the decision made to let us all drink.
0: <laughs> Fantastic. I think that's a great way to do it, to be fair. It's just, mm. obviously, you can only do it yourself. You have to like, kind of social like, kind of distance yourself from everyone. So it gets a bit bit lonely when you're doing it yourself. You feel even more of a drunk sort of thing when you're getting on it yourself sort of thing or you're, you're messy sort of thing. Yeah, but after three drinks, you don't really care. Yeah, that's it. After a few drinks, nothing really matters. The world is great again. Exactly. Yeah, no, I've, I've been uh,
1: feeling a bit guilty because always, you know, all these journalists and, and contacts and everything. When everyone we do for the show, you know, COVID comes up after. I mean, obviously, when we have an interview, you know, we'll chat for 45 minutes and, and about whatever topic we're doing that week. Uh, and then afterwards, we'll just, you know, talk offhand and just, you know, how's your family been? What's going on? Uh, and COVID comes up quite a bit. And all these guys are under, you know, I'm locked in a tiny apartment in New York City. What about you, Michael? I'm like, well, I just went to the shops and I had, you know, I sided with my girlfriend in the backyard. It's all pretty easy over here, actually, in comparison.
0: <laughs> Don't want to rub it in sort of thing, you know? Yeah, no, I know. Feel, I feel really
1: bad. I feel like saying, oh yeah, it's, it's bad. I haven't been able to get a haircut for two weeks. It's about the worst thing I've gone through so far. That's
0: <laughs> um But the thing is, just what I'm really kind of worried about, obviously, you've got like kind of um, uh, uh, you have to the ground with the, like, foreign policies and like politics and stuff like mm. that. But the one thing that a lot of people are discussing, uh, probably worldwide, is the financial um, drawback to all this. Because obviously, with our government here, old Boris, he's uh, he's really kind of stepped up and he's helped out as much as he can financially. Mm. But this, the money that's really coming in, is going to run out. What I mean, do you think there's going to be like a massive crash coming soon with all this? Um, like. Um, government funding and all that sort of stuff to help businesses?
1: Huge crash. Uh, but there's been a crash been coming for a while. I mean, effectively, there's been, you know, we've had Harvard economists on the show to kind of take us a bit through this crash that's coming up. But effectively, there are so many red flags in the market anyway. You know, the, you know, the stock market was way overinflated. inflated. The ABI market was way out inflated. There's so many problems with the Chinese banks. Like, there were just so many red flags that effectively everyone was waiting for the pop regardless uh, and then when this is kicked in, it's just rather than, you know, pop it with a pin, we're popping it with a sledgehammer. Um, it will be interesting to see how well governments respond to trying to pull this out. Um, you know, it, it, there's a lot of different economic theories, and I'm not an economist, um, but it could, you know, the US will be the one to watch uh, and because their economy is going to be pretty hurt after this one. Uh, and China, if everyone pulls their supply chains out, will be very badly hurt as well. And right now, China is really the engine for everyone's economies at the moment, particularly Australians.
0: Yeah, of course. Well, there's a the massive trade group for everyone. I mean, especially over in the UK, we've got a huge trade trade agreement with them at the minute. And it's uh, normally at the beginning of the year, during like the January, February time, it's like the Chinese New Year and everything shuts down anyway. So kind of, they combat that. But obviously, if nothing comes out, we um, Well, effective, as you said, uh, a lot of the country, a lot of the world is going to be screwed by that sort of thing.
1: Yeah, well, it's it's important to line our supply chains. It's interesting. I sit in a, a couple of foreign policy committees over here in Australia. And I remember we got our first briefing on COVID in early February. That, that was way back in the day, or late Jan, late Jan, sorry. And I remember the first meeting we had was not about how bad the disease was going to be. It was going to be, well, our supply chains are going to be a problem. You know, we're going to run out of doorbells in this country. We're going to run out of small electronics. And I kind of had a giggle like, oh, is that as bad as it's going to be? And then they kind of took us through it. Like, look, we don't know how bad the disease is going to be, but with the factories shut, you know, you can have a, a $2 million piece of mining equipment, but it's that $100 screen that controls the mining equipment that's only made in China that we don't have anyone else that makes it. If China doesn't make it, the whole machine's inoperable. Uh, inoperable, sorry. That's the problem we're going to be
0: facing. Yeah. So it's, it's going to be an interesting few months, I think. It's going to be, uh, hopefully, it won't be too bad. You know, we can go back to normality again and actually get out of the house for a while. You know, I know it's okay for yourself, but we need to get out of the house. As Brits don't like to be stuck in those for very long, we get claustrophobic and it's getting a nightmare. But and this is, I think of. Uh, right about now is your one week, one
1: week, right about now is your one week of sunshine as well.
0: I know that's it. I tell you, that's so bad because last week it was gorgeous weather. I mean it's not much. Mm. It was like twenty degrees. Obviously that's like a winter's day for you guys over there, but it's 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 gorgeous for us. This is what we get. But we can go outside and enjoy it, which is annoying.
1: Look, it's a small price to pay to to hold the uh hold the disease accountable. Um of course look, it is what it is. It's unfortunate. No one really planned for this. Um but it'd be interesting to see the social construct coming out of this. I think there's a lot of really interesting things that will happen afterwards. Like you know our government, your government as well, is kind of almost implementing this. You know, with their job, uh, uh, job we call it job keeper program. You guys have a very similar program to kind of pay employees, to try and keep people on, and, and pay a minimum amount of money. Uh, it, yeah. It's almost an admission that's what the minimum wage should be. You know, this whole like making people try to live off the bare, 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 bare minimum is not really. You know, it's going to be interesting to try and. Put people back to that tiny amount of money after this. Uh, once the government sort of paid out and said that, you know, for us, $1,500 a fortnight is the minimum. That's they've gone,
0: well, let's give everyone that to make sure that, you know, they can survive, which is double what it used to be. Yeah, of course. Definitely. I completely understand that. So, um, I mean, I, I like talking about the corona, but let's move away. It's getting a bit of, a yeah, lot of, course. of crazy because I just talk about it so much. You can't help but chat about it, chat, but it's like, I was chatting to a friend about it the other day there and he, he obviously runs a podcast. He just says he can't help but talk about it. Oh yeah. But it just it over it over kind of it overtakes. Uh it overtakes that what the, the point sort of things like oh corona, the next thing you know, forty five minutes later, you've not actually talked about anything No, no. Sort of thing. Happens all the time. So, uh, so um you're a pre, a journalist basically by trade, is that right? You say? Yeah, but generally,
1: um, but again, like it's not my main thing. My main thing mostly policy and writing, um, but generally, yeah, like you know, this kind of job is is kind of journalist, but I, I don't, I'm not tied to a particular newspaper um, because there's just there's almost no journalism jobs in Australia. Uh, it's just all right. Yeah, like even if you are some of the best of the best, you really struggle to get a job. It's just not many papers funding and there's only really one newspaper. There's one big newspaper in Australia called The Australian and everyone kind of just copy pastes their articles uh, with a few <laughs> local sports things
0: attached to it. So it's a very weird media landscape over here. Brilliant. OK, that's, that's a strange way to do things, isn't it? It's, it's a crazy one. But I mean, you've been all over the world, um, like travelling and that sort of stuff, I've seen yeah. you're a keen traveller. Best place, what would you say the best place you've ever been to, and what's the most riskiest place? Because you said you've been to different dodgy places as well, but keen to get your insight on that.
1: Oh, the
0: best I have, a, I have a particular love for
1: Kazakhstan. Kazakhstan is, is a fantastic country, the people are lovely. Um, they are easily the nicest people. Like, you won't go in, if you uh, stop for more than two seconds, someone will come up to you and offer you help. Uh, and also, the government <laughs> subsidizes alcohol. The, Nazarbayev, the, the ex-president now. Uh, decided to win votes that he would subsidize alcohol so effectively when you go to a bar the government pays half your bar tab so you know you can buy an entire bottle of vodka for what would be the equivalent of 80 pence um you know just a nuts amount of nice people beautiful landscapes and very cheap vodka um which is usually a pretty good combination for me
0: well i'll tell you what i know exactly where i'm going after this (laughs) lot
1: I, would, I would, would highly recommend beer. it. People think it's, it's this uh, really, you know, there are parts of Kazakhstan, particularly in the West, that are a bit uh, hairy at times. But generally, if you stay in, you know, uh, uh, Sultan or Amati or Shimken, it's beautiful places. The people are lovely. Everyone's friendly. The food is amazing. Um, yeah, just generally a lovely place to be.
0: Oh, fantastic. That's great. can't believe that with the beer. That's great. I think a lot of government should take that on board um that sort of kind of policy i think that's a great policy that would definitely win a few elections that one oh it did uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's his point yeah the rest it's like the rest of his policies are rubbish it's just this one this one's brilliant
1: pretty much and that's what people that's what they're aiming for is is don't worry about all this stuff we're doing over here but you know cheap cheap booze um but yeah, yeah generally it's a, it's a lovely place um yeah as for dangerous uh, turkey's always always a bit hit and miss um I had to leave Transnistria in a a bit of a hurry. Uh, We we were being followed by some, uh, you know, GRU, which is effectively the uh, Transnistrian version of the KGB. They were about to arrest us, and I had a friend smuggle me out in the back of a car. That was a bit bit hairy at times.
0: Um, God, what was that all about? Did you have to, what was it, just because... Just they found out you were there and they just didn't like you being there? So it was very
1: weird. I, we did this piece on Transnistria and we met with this amazing guy who, I, I won't say who he is just in case he does work for the government. Um, of course. But yeah, so we got we got into the country and we came in just in this bus across the border to not ra- raise any suspicions. And the guys took down all our details and we got through the border and we got into our apartment, which was this really dingy old apartment with bullet holes in bits of it. Um, Anyway, we got up to our apartment, the owner says, well, don't worry, the whole apartment's yours, no one's been here, for, you know, we haven't had a tourist in like a month, you know, it's all good. We went, oh, okay, sweet, no problem. And then my girlfriend and me went for a walk around the city and then came back and then this little uh, this sort of five foot five Russian guy was living in our apartment. Um, and then it was like, oh yeah, he's just moved in, he just he just randomly booked. I was like, oh, that's interesting. Uh, And the Russian guy spoke a little bit of English. I thought that's interesting. He said he's from Magadan, which is way in the east, Uh, and and no one from Magadan speaks English. It's very very rural, and that was my first red flag. Okay. And then he started asking a lot of questions. I was like, okay, I'm getting suspicious. But then he's like, we'd gone for a walk and then came back, and our stuff had been moved around. I was like, okay, he's gone through our stuff. You know, let's imagine he is a, uh, you know, he's an agent of some variety. Uh, and then, anyway, yeah. you know, I was like, okay, I'm going to get on the front foot. He's I'm taller than him. Uh, I'm a big, bigger dude. I'm going to take. I offered to take him out for a few drinks around town. We got quite drunk, uh, and his cover story fell apart pretty quick and pushed. Uh, he went from being born in Magadan to being born in Yakutst. Um Yeah, and he just started asking a lot of questions, and then when uh, we met with our uh, our contact in, in Thraspol, um, you know, we I introduced to some arms dealers and a few other people. And I kind of spoke to my government guy there and went, hey, what's this dude living in my apartment for? And they went, oh, well, if he, that's not, okay. I don't know anything about it. I went, Okay, well, what's the go? Is that like, well, if he's there, he means you're already going to be under arrest. You've got to get out of the country pretty quick. I was like, okay, wow. tomorrow morning, can you get me across the border? He's like, look, not with a visa. Like I can get you in the back of an SUV um, with a guy I know who can smuggle stuff out of the country. Um, so... Yeah, we ended up telling our, our little KGB guy we're going to go into Ukraine and the east, on the eastern border of the country, um, and then got in this back of this little SUV, and ran as quick as we could with my suitcase full of cognac to the western border with Moldova, and uh, they waved a, a special little card that I think it was a, a bribe card or something but they didn't check any of our passports or take any details, and they waved this car through, and we got safely back in Moldova afterwards. It was a pretty uh pretty intense little drive out.
0: God, that's a bit obviously. Obviously, through that time, a bit the adrenaline was pumping through that whole experience. I bet you were like, "Kind of, oh, this is just weird. This is crazy."
1: Yeah, well, it was it was pretty weird at the time. Um, it was because kind of, that's the trouble I've been told. I you mean, know, what I was telling friends who work for the government and the foreign office here. You know, I was like, "Hey, I'm going off to Transnistria and stuff." They went, "Well, we're not coming for you." Then. I went, "What do you mean?" He's like, "Well, if you get arrested in Moldova, yeah, the Australian consulate can help, but if you're arrested in Transnistria, like..." We will not. We can't come. It's an unrecognized republic. We have no relations. You're on your own. You know. You'd have to call Moscow to get you out. I was like, oh, hi, oh, okay. Um, so that was that was a bit fun. The only other one that was terri- a bit terrifying is I was riding. I went to Kyrgyzstan, which is in sort of Central Asia, and this is beautiful horse country. Uh, we went to this. Uh, it was a snowing. Middle, of, I think it was December somewhere. It was like negative twenty out, and my girlfriend and me and this local guy decided that we've got to the mountains and ride horses for the day, just to because it was you know that's what you do there. Yeah, amazing. We rode. It. it was lovely. It was beautiful. So we're riding through this beautiful valley, and we kind of ride past these army trucks, and we're like, oh, that's weird. But you know, it's a Soviet, it's an ex-Soviet country. It's not unusual to see army trucks around the place. So we ride further, and further into the valley, and then two o'clock hits, and then all the artillery starts. You know, <laughs> And we realized that we were sitting in an artillery area. Uh, and as the artillery sort of started exploding out on these horses, and I'm not I'm not a horse rider by any stretch to imagine, I just watched out our local guide in very in his broken Russian just swear a bunch and said, we need to get out of here right now. Uh, and we quickly had to ride back out this valley while they had machine guns and artillery going off. And, uh, yeah, that was, my, again, my poor girlfriend had to go through all of this. Um, we got back. We got back to the stable, uh, and just with the with the guide, I ended up was going up to the head of the bar there at the stable. He just poured, uh, got another bottle of vodka out, and just you know <laughs> kind of sat there looking at each other like, "Well, oh, we should have probably not ridden into the army zones."
0: Yeah, no, what I was going to say it's like I bet your poor girlfriend's probably sitting there going, "Another fine mess you've got me into cool. now, Michael. Thanks for that."
1: Oh, that poor woman. Um <laughs> Yeah, she. I literally said, "Oh, look, it's going to be a nice, you know. She's like. You know, I don't, you know, let's have a night off from going to bars and, and trying to meet arms dealers and, and let's just have a nice peaceful day riding horses through the valley. So, that, oh, sounds lovely. And then yeah. that happened. So, yeah, that we will never get to break.
0: I bet you're probably thinking, can we go to a nice, ho- nice holiday, a sunny holiday? We can just sit on the beach for a change instead of going to all these crazy places.
1: Yeah, I must admit, it's a, it's very interesting too. So, uh, we we're supposed to, before COVID kicked in, we we're supposed to have sort of a, a my father in law's, I think, 50th in Bali, which is kind of uh, an island, peaceful, you know, holiday place uh, just north of Australia. And uh, you know, she you should be both looking at each other like, Oh, I don't think we I can't remember the last time we did a holiday where there wasn't, you know, a fear of arrest at the border and there wasn't, you know, a gun somewhere in the room, you know, it was a, uh, yeah. It was gonna be a very interesting holiday
0: for me before Covid kicked in. Yeah. Just so uh, it's unfortunate it all kicked off, but is what, what it is. I know, yeah. I want to talk about the, the band. Are you you're still, uh, you're still bass bass player at the minute? You still yeah, playing? I still Yeah.
1: Yeah, I, I was uh, yeah. There's
0: one thing that I really could I went wanted to have a chat about because there's one thing I had a look at. The the little skip videos that you were doing with the band. What, yeah the, the the Harry Potter one had been stitches, I thought that was brilliant. What what was where did these come from? Was this trying to do like something different or what was what was this all about?
1: So I was, in, I was in this band called Lights of Berlin. I was in a few bands. I was in like an indie band and a rock band. But Berlin was kind of my, my baby band, you know, uh, and we you know, we used to tour the country and we did fairly well for an Australian band at the time. But, you know, I remember we kind of like, you know, we put the standard like, yeah, we've got a you know, tour coming up or we've got this coming up and, and, you know, do it well. But then I got I got really red wine drunk and this whole interview is going to make me sound like an alcoholic. Um, but yeah, and I did this video that's like an infomercial. It was an infomercial for T-shirt. It was just a really, like, kind of deliberately bad infomercial. Uh, and it went really crazy. People loved it. Promoters loved it. You know, rather than getting the standard kind of, you know, 50, 60 likes, it got like 400 or it got, and across Reddit and everything, these things were getting like 20,000 views. And I was like, well, wow. let's kind of, let's keep doing these funny skits because they cost me nothing apart from, you know, a night of red wine. Um then yeah, we just, you know, I usually shoot them all all by myself and edit them all by myself. So pretty much every character you see is just me in a green screen uh, and my poor roommates and everything. have just had to see me walk out of a room in a wig and a dress and you're like, oh, <laughs> Berlin's got a tour coming up. I was like, yep, Berlin's got a tour coming up. So yeah, there were very odd, you know, theme shows or tours or stuff we had coming up that we just decided that we'd do these skit videos and it just became this weird, you know, that's what we got known as, you know, bands would people that subscribe to our, our stuff just to kind of come and see us, uh, you know, do weird, like, what if Harry Potter was a was a redneck Australian um, kind of stuff, <laughs> which is very weird to go from that to doing a very serious political show. Yeah, it's very weird for me.
0: But it's it's a good way to do it. It's different. It gets you known out there. I thought it was fantastic. I was looking through it, and I was like, I'm up now. Have a look at this. And as I say, they were very, very funny. I was in statues with the Harry Potter one, as I said. I thought that was hilarious. And I was like, oh, that's, you should do like a proper series of it sort of thing. I'd like, uh, I don't know if you have done any pre- uh, one since that sort of thing, but you should, yeah, I should really get in about that, because I think they're brilliant. Absolutely fantastic. Great way to market, your obviously, your band, that you're touring on, that sort of stuff.
1: Yeah, well, that's the thing. They didn't cost anything, because they're all just me on a green screen with random hats and stuff that I have lying around. So, you know, we would do these things. They would take, you know, usually sort of, I'd write the script at, like, 10 a.m. I'd start shooting at, like, midday-ish. I'd be finished shooting by three. I'd probably be editing till one in the morning the band would get it at like two two in the morning and then we just the green light comes out at at 5 a.m and then it's up that night you know it was really kind of a quick process and it was like well we can either put our you know hey we're going on tour and have to dump 500 bucks worth of advertising into it or we can just do one of these funny skits and it takes off organically anyway
0: that's that i mean a lot this is what a lot of um like well i want to say like the youngsters people don't understand that Doing things differently gets you a lot more recognition, a lot more um, um, highlighted higher and marketing side of stuff compared to, obviously, the the, the original pain for it all the time. If you do things originally and do things different than everyone else is doing, you'll get that notoriety and it's so easy to do, but just a lot of people don't understand it.
1: No, that's that's kind of the thing. You have to really do something different these days because there's just there's so many bands, there's so many people on tour. You know, you got to have either a gimmick or you know a record label to back you or something big. But generally, if you have a gimmick, then people at least, you know, they would come to our Facebook page and subscribe because they knew there'd be funny skits or something coming out. That was, you know, yeah. and then from there, they'd listen to music and enjoy it and then come to the shows. Nice.
0: Yeah. Any shows coming up soon for Uh
1: No. Right now, we're all we're all a bit of hi- like we're kind of six months hiatus because obviously, um, <laughs> yeah, we're all just busy. I'm tied up with the red line. Which is taking up so much time at the moment. The singer's just yeah. finishing off his doctorate. Uh, the drummer is is currently just playing gazillion cover shows, and the guitarist is currently on tour with a country band of all things. Um, <laughs> Crazy! It's a bit of a different way, isn't it? Well, I think we're all are all still very good friends, and like you know, obviously you spend that much time on tour for years when you know living in each other's armpits on the floors of people's houses, and yeah, you know, just. Show after show after show after show. You know, it's uh you, you know we get very we're very close. We still are, but obviously all of us have got insane side projects now that you know getting us all in the same room is uh yeah. <laughs> it's like oh, we should do drinks and then diaries. Four diaries come out and it's this. I've got four hours on the fifteenth of
0: April. Yeah, that's so, just, yeah. Yes, yeah, so it's like you have to really kind of dumb down on the diary sort of thing. so uh, what's good. <laughs> It's really it's good, it's good that obviously you guys are doing different projects and stuff. Hopefully you guys will uh, have a, a bit of time later on in the year to get back together and bust it out again.
1: Yeah, it'd be good. I mean there's it's you know, we, it's something we really enjoy and love and uh, but obviously right now it's you know, we wouldn't even need be able to focus too much on it because we're all in lockdown anyway and there's no yeah. shows, and, you know, no one's playing anything anyway. So this is probably, you know, a good time to take off and uh, and focus on side projects and whatnot. Um, but yeah, it's very different to sort of do you know, a radio run where you know I'm talking band stuff, and I have to be really, you know, just uh, you know, tell jokes and talk about the band or the music, and then I go to my next interview, and it's all redline stuff. I'm like, well, obviously, we're going to take into account the economy is going to go up 8, about 4 percent in China if you take into account you know, it's very weird <laughs> it's between the two of them at the moment. Fantastic.
0: So I know with the redline, you mentioned you uh, that's really taken off the redline podcast at the minute um mm-hmm. you mentioned you just uh post up 100,000 uh, downloads so far
1: yeah we cracked 140,000 this morning um wow. with our south sudan piece that just just uh, launched last night but yeah no it's it's gone pretty well like we're all you know we were kind of shocked um that anyone even wanted to listen to it but it's very you know it's, it's like a whole hour of doing a big deep dive into one subject you know whether it be afghanistan or yemen or transnistria or you know, the Russian missile programs, you know, it's a really kind of weird geopolitical show and it's quite long pieces. So, yeah, you know, yeah, it was a bit of a gamble. Like we were so sure that no one was going to listen. And you know it was when we were the first writing at the show, there was sort of, do we do 20 minute episodes and keep it snippety? Or do we go really long with these things? And, you know, so far it seems to have been paying off, but we've still got a long way to go.
0: So, um, yeah, I mean, what's next for him? Are you just going to carry on and just kind of keep going and going and going with him?
1: I think I think so. I think just sort of do more episodes and more bigger shows and bigger guests and and you know you know try and get as big as we can, big as we can. You know, the bigger the show gets, the more we can do with it. I mean, I'd like to get a bit more and and you know make some money money off it so I can hire more guys and more stories and more social media dudes. And, and obviously, then once we get big enough, we can start going after the real big guests, go after presidents of countries, or, or go after. You know, world leaders—not just you know, like right now, it's we're already getting some amazing guests. You know, the ambassador to this country, or the you know, the CIA's head intelligence officer of in Afghanistan, guys from the White House. But obviously, to get like a president on the show would be amazing. Oh, that'd be
0: that would be um, that would be amazing. Yeah, I mean, well, seen that you've already got high-profile guests on there already, but getting that the, the next tier would be fantastic. That's the that'd be that doubt that would push the profile well skyward. Really, to be fair. Mm. It would be, yeah. Um,
1: so far, the biggest offer we've had is uh, we did this uh, with the – did a piece of predictions of what's going to happen this year. And the guy there is, is – uh, works for the White House. He's kind of the White House's head expert on Afghanistan. And he's like, oh, Michael, would you come to Afghanistan? I was like, oh, yeah, I, I probably would. sounds interesting. And, you know, I would, I would probably go. He's like, oh, I know the vice president really well. If you do come, let me know. I'll get him to pick you up from the airport. I went, what? He's like, oh, I'll just get the vice president to pick you up from the airport. He, he's a good friend of mine. I'm sure you get along well. So that's probably the weirdest offer I've had so far. Um, <laughs> oh, God. So yeah.
0: say, I know what it's like out in Kabul. I spent, um, I spent two years out there working for mm. Americans out there sort of thing. And uh, that's a weird, that's a crazy country that is, to be honest. It's, um, everyone keeps asking, it's like, what were you doing out there? I was, just, I was, I was, I was it's part of the supply route. Uh, we, yeah. I, was done, uh, I, think I was employed by a company called Supreme. And we were mm. um, based in Kabul just next to the Kaya Airport sort of thing. Uh, the military base and all i can just basically describe is it's like working in a supermarket you work in a big supermarket um, mm. and then the car park is where you live and then yeah uh, that's it that's it you're there for four months and if you go out- you can go outside and all that sort of stuff but um people are not very friendly with you when you go outside the wire sort of thing so it's a uh, it's, uh, it's a it's a crazy one but if you ever get a chance to go don't drive there get someone else to drive because they are crazy drivers out there
1: Oh, they are. That whole region is. um, Kazakhstan, they're all crazy. Kyrgyzstan. Kyrgyzstan, I've almost driven over the cliff a few times uh, when I've had other drivers. In all these countries, I tend to just hire local drivers because I'm I'm not brave enough. (laughs) No, it's crazy.
0: There was one time I was sitting there. We came to the junction. It was Jalalabad Road funnily enough. We came to the junction, and the people were just screaming past. And in the middle of it, there's a little um, little police hut with a policeman there. And he's sitting Mm. there with his feet up just sitting there. And the next thing you know, there's a big smash with two, I think it was about three cars. Smash uh, Toyota Corollas, funny enough, as they all are out there. And yeah. um, just the policeman just looked up, didn't even get out of his seat, just looked up and went, yeah, right, okay, and let them deal with it. And I was like, this is crazy. It's like the Wild West out here.
1: Yeah. The, uh, the whole region is insane. Like, I remember getting in a, a cabin in Georgia, which is kind of south of Russia. And as yeah. soon as the guy knew I spoke Russian, he switched from being this, like, Semi-decent driver to just like, I'm going to mount curbs. I'm going to offer you to smoke marijuana in the car. I'm going to talk about Armenians and how much I hate Armenians. Like it was <laughs> the oddest 6 a.m. cab ride I've ever had. He's just like, you want know, to smoke? You know, smoke this. I was like, oh, I'm good. He's like, no, 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 no. You just smoke. You just smoke in my car. Yes. He's like, oh, Okay. Um, as, as soon
0: as you realize it's like oh cool it's like a completely switch i can be myself now happy days let's
1: go pretty much as soon as they, he's like oh you speak russian good and then just switch to russian immediately and and you know went from there yeah, I um
0: i don't need to behave myself sort of thing
1: <laughs> pretty much as long as like, as soon as they don't think you're an american tourist they just take the hat off and like okay yeah no, you're up for this
0: i oh, know that's it but no you're one of us we can do what i want now i can go crazy
1: mm. Yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, particularly if you think you're Australian because they all just assume we're drunks and they're mostly correct. Um, yeah, they just <laughs> they're like,
0: ah, oh, you're up for whatever, you know, you're not going to care. That's it. It's like, yeah, they're probably drunk anyway. They won't remember this tomorrow, so I can do what I want. <laughs> yeah, even in Mold, like
1: when I flew into Moldova, I was sort of chatting with him um, so I don't Moldovans mostly speak kind of Romanian, which is kind of close to Italian, but they speak a little bit of Russian. Uh, so he's sort of, he's using his broken Russian. I'm using my broken Russian, and we're kind of chatting. And I'm like, "Oh, you know, Moldovan wine's really nice." He's like, "Oh, you should come to my house afterwards. I'll, I'll bring you some wine." He was happy to detour the other side of the capital, Kishinev and, and give me a bottle of wine out of his fridge to, you know, just to just because his Moldovans are lovely. It's kind of that yeah. whole region of the world.
0: Oh, brilliant! Brilliant. So, 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 what's next? For you, after this uh, COVID stuff's all done and dusty, you've got the free reign. What's next for you, Michael? What are you up to after? What you, what you lo- do this year?
1: So we're looking at just sort of getting visas and stuff and looking into that area of, of going into East Africa. Um, I have oh, friends wow. who uh, want to get me into Addis Ababa, uh, possibly into Somalia, and then into Eritrea, um, which Eritrea is, is the North Korea of Africa. It's kind of really odd and weird. Um yeah. Yeah, I, I want to see the pyramids as well. Uh, and then I also have friends in Algeria who I'd love to pop in and say hi. So yeah, just North Africa is is looking like where we're heading next, which should be interesting. Well wow, so it's going to
0: be another traveling expedition this year. Then hopefully that sounds great.
1: Yeah, no, it'd be, be uh, very interesting. It's it's uh, so far I've done mostly Soviet countries and Russian countries and that. Um, so doing something completely different. Uh, Somalia will be terrifying, I imagine, um, but. Yeah, I'm
0: sure it'll yeah. be fine. That's it. well, actually, when I was coming back from, uh, when I used to work in Afghanistan, the same company, mm. they actually had uh, bases out in Somalia and they were actually off. Mm. Me, Do you want to go out and work in Somalia? And I was like, no chance. I am not going out there. That's craziness. Was it uh, in Hargeisa or in
1: uh, Mogadishu?
0: It was in Mogadishu, it was.
1: Yeah. like Hargeisa, you can get away with. Hargeisa is not too bad, um, which is the old British bit of British Somaliland. But H- Mogadishu right now is... Is a little chaotic um, as it is. I, I yeah. I only go to these countries usually if I have like a local like who's going to sort you I mean, uh, who I'm already friends with who would sort me out. And uh, yeah, if as soon as you go north of Mogadishu into Putnam, then you start getting into like I need to have an armed guard with me at all times territory. Yeah, that's it. Uh, because
0: when they come to front and an, an in Kabul and Afghanistan, they actually lost the contract and um, yeah. they had to pull out of Afghan because what they were doing. They had three tiers of getting supplies into the, 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 the country for the Americans, and there was three tiers was obviously, bronze, silver, and gold. So, they had this contract for like 12 years, or even well, probably about 10 years when the, the invasion started. But what they were doing that all 12 years, they were charging them the gold version, obviously, to get the, the tier of equipment to come in, but then only using the, 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 the bronze kind of tier to get them in. They were overcharging yeah. them. And I think it worked out to be something like $2 billion overcharged over 10 years. And yeah. um, it was crazy. It went to Congress and everything. It was all over the, the news and everything like that. And we were like, oh, shit, we're out of jobs now. So they turned around and went, it's okay, guys. We'll put you elsewhere. And there was a couple going, oh, we can put you in Riga, which was, I'd love, I'd love to go, go there, to be quite I've honest. I've been to that. Riga. It's lovely.
1: Uh, they do spaghetti by the pound there. It's very
0: weird. Now, yeah, I was like, I'll go there. But they went, oh, no, Riga's gone. We can put you to Somalia. And I was like, okay, what else you got? They went, oh, we competed in Syria as well. And I went, yeah, "Yeah, I think I'm just going to go back to the UK now, to be fair. I think it's time for me to go and get a normal job again.
1: That is such a weird... Like, Somalia and Syria, I can understand, but Riga is absolutely a lovely city. I love my time in Riga. In fact, I remember I went to a bar in Riga, and we ended up going out this night and making a bunch of Latvian friends, because Latvians are all lovely. And out meeting this guy and asking what he is like, oh, I'm part of the Latvian Olympic bobsled team. And I was like, Really? Like, <laughs> you're, you're pulling my leg. He's like, No, no, no I actually am. I'm, I'm part of the Olympic team. And I went, Okay. He's like, Do you want to come to the bobsled with me tomorrow? And you can go do a run down our Olympic training course with me and your buddies. Uh, I went, Yeah, sounds great. So I end up in last time I was very good riding with the, Olymp- the, uh, the Olympic bobsled team down their bobsled uh, track. And it was terrifying.
0: Oh, my God. They go really fast as well. They go a hell of a lot of speed.
1: I don't know how they can control it, because yeah, I was in the very back of it, uh, and my head just spent the entire time whacking between the two bars. I'm pretty sure I shortened my <laughs> life by three years doing that one bobsled.
0: Jesus. It's crazy. it's so scary, especially going that fast. And oh, it's terrifying. A, well, a wrong turn. You're on your, 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 your side, and you're sliding. There's, no, there's nothing stopping you after that, is there?
1: No, and I don't recommend it with a hangover either.
0: Oh, you're
1: a glutton for punishment, <laughs> aren't you? I am, I am. So if you can't tell my travel plans, yeah, I'm a glutton for punishment at this point. Um, but Latvia yeah, is nice. is absolutely lovely. Um, the food's great. Everything's warm. You know, the, all the food's warm. The bars are great. The people are lovely. Um, yeah, they're just a little paranoid about
0: Russia, and that's about it. That's that. Well, obviously, Regan, that, that's where we had to get our. We had to kind of smuggle the uh, the beer that we had to get mm. into the country into into the compound that we had. So it was a there was a few um, backhanders and brown envelopes being shaked about and we got like, our, like, <laughs> um, like yep. two, two pallets worth uh, of uh, Heineken beer sort of thing getting smuggled into because it was obviously a dry country and, yep. uh, and it was always good and it's always great when the, the Americans came back and they were like, oh, I've got this and they were smuggling like bottles of Jack Daniels and all this whiskey and this fine stuff and I was like, oh, this is going to be great fun, this. So it's, uh, it, was, it was interesting. Yeah, it's
1: amazing what you have to what you go through in a dry country. Um, you know, Iran—they all kind of brew their own. It's kind of like moon. It's halfway between wine and moonshine. It's this really weird stuff they all True. brew. Uh, and you'll just have a guy on a, on a motorcycle who will ride up and just take a bunch of money off you, hand you a, a bag of it, and then walk and drive off quickly. It's insane.
0: Because oh, this is the best story that I've ever, when I was in Afghanistan, the best story that I'll, I'll always remember this the day that I die. It's when, because we used to work with a lot of Nepalese guys out there, a lot of yep. the guys, the hardest workers I've ever met in my entire well, life. Yeah, they are, they're great. Like, oh my God, they, they work for like 18 hours a day and not bat an eyelid. And you're like, mm. wow. But um, obviously, Nepalese goat curry is absolutely fantastic. It's and, amazing. Um, oh, it's beautiful. And the guy was, we're chatting away, having a few drinks one day. And, um, he was like, oh, we need to get some, we need to get us some goat so we can get that. So we, we talked to one of the, um, the locals, one of the Afghan locals, because they were working with us. And we said, can you get us some goat meat sort of thing? And he was like, yeah, 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 no problem. So he just give him a few quid. And off he goes, we didn't hear from him for like two days. And we're like, right, he's just basically pinched the money. The next thing you know, there's a chap at the door. And he's outside. He goes, oh, sirs, I've got your goat for you. And he has a live goat next to him. And I'm going, what are you going to do with that? And he went, he goes, you wanted a goat. I said, goat meat, not a whole live goat. And went, <laughs> okay. And this, this thing's like rabbit now. And he's like, nah, that's a big old goat. And I'm like, oh, Christ. And then the Nepalese did bat an eyelid and just went, cool, I'll take care of this. Don't, obviously, he did the business. Obviously, he uh, yeah. skinned it and all that sort of stuff. And next thing you know, you've got goat curry for the next six weeks.
1: Yeah, and goat curry, Nepalese goat curry is amazing. I'm a huge fan oh, of Nepalese stunning. food. Um, Absolutely just...
0: stunning. you yeah, Chuck it in a pot and that's it. Did you go for it.
1: Yeah, the Nepalese have amazing food. There's some great Nepalese places back home. But yeah, it's just they really know what they're, what they're doing with the goat.
0: Yeah, I, know I just, they were, I, they, one of the girls was there and she was like giving it, oh my God, I can't believe what you've done. And when just don't ask questions. Just let them, let them do what they need to do. Don't know what it's, what's going to happen, but they're obviously going to gut and skin this goat and serve it to us. That's all you need to know. She was yeah. like, oh, I can't eat this. I can't eat this. Don't worry, it's brilliant. Well,
1: that, yeah, that's the thing, you, don't, you know, sometimes you're asking questions, not asking questions get you in trouble as well. I was in Mongolia and we met with this this colonel in the Mongolian army and he was saying, oh, you know, my mum my runs a, a horse breeding farm out at the national park. I was like, oh, that sounds great. He's like, look, do you want to go? Now, I have really bad luck with horse riding. <laughs> and he's like, oh, let's, that's good. let's, I guess let's go to my mum's farm and then she'll get some horses and we can, we can ride through Tov. I was like, yeah, it sounds great. Let's go do that. So we drove out of Olimpator into this, into this national park and we got out there. And this mum was like this little uh, short little Mongolian lady who was absolutely lovely. And she brings us some cookies and I was like, oh, yum. Thank you so much. And then she brings us this milk with the cookies. And I said, like, oh, okay, cool. And, but it was boiling hot. And I went, boiled milk is super weird. And I was like, okay, whatever. I can deal with this. I'm not, I, don't know, I don't really like milk regardless, but sure. I'm polite in this woman's house. And I took a sip and it was like, milk that you boiled and then poured tablespoons of salt into. And I kind of looked at, looked at my, my Colonel buddy and went, uh, Hey, what is this? And he goes, Oh, it's horse milk. And the mum <laughs> in her, you know, English bless her heart went, is nice. Yes. And I went, Oh, well, I've got to drink the whole thing. Cause she's watching. Uh, so because oh, I, I didn't ask questions and I had to drink a, a whole cup of very warm horse milk.
0: It was awful. Oh, that's rough. <laughs> that's horrible.
1: Yeah, that was oh, pretty man. bad. The other one is they also in, in central Asia as well, they do this. It's ma It tastes amazing. There's like pastry. It's like almost like a beef Wellington. It's like a bit of spice, bit of onion, meat with pastry around it. And I ate so many of them when I was in Kazakhstan. Um, yeah. so they just like serve like an entree all the time. Then I got home and I watched some YouTube channels doing like talking about Kazakh food. Uh, and turns out it was horse meat. i had been eating horse meat for about a month and didn't realize.
0: <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Well, to, to be fair, we're, I'm actually used to eating horse meat. I don't know if you've seen the scandal a few years ago with Tesco selling horse meat, uh, pretend that it was cows. So that, I think half the country over here is probably used to eating horse meat anyway.
1: That scandal has the, um, the best British British television I have ever seen in my life. They went out to Bulgaria to where their the abattoirs are <laughs> and they interviewed this amazing Bulgarian guy who they go... You know, did you know that there's horse meat in these lasagnas? And a Bulgarian guy looks dead down the camera and goes, Well, yeah, it's a horse abattoir. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's possibly the best bit of British television I've ever seen. Uh, just how uh, dead okay. down the line is the reporter thinks he's got like a gotcha question. He's like, Yeah, well, it's a horse abattoir. Of course, we you know that it's horse meat.
0: Yeah, he probably went, he spent so much money to go over there and do this big scandal, just get, get a little the proof of it. And the guy went, yeah, and what? Of course it is, you know? I think that's brilliant. Yeah. absolutely fantastic. Uh, yeah. So, yeah.
1: No, there's a... Yeah, uh, that that whole horse meat thing was insane. But uh, Central Asia eats all the time. Like, it, it's more common than beef, far more common than beef. It's almost more common than chicken. Like, you know, uh, vegetable muck, uh, everything out in Mongolia, Kazakhstan, it's mostly all horse meat anyway. Like, you eat a dumpling... <laughs> And it's it's a horse. Uh, otherwise, you go to China, and you like you, you know, there's lots of meats there as well. You know, once you get out of the out of the
0: Western countries, just kind of roll with the punches on what meat you're going to get. That's it. It's just a it's a gamble, isn't it? It's just like it's the meat gamble. What you're going to have? You're going to have um, you have dog, cat, horse meat. Is it is it going to be goat? I don't know. <laughs> as long as it's not cockroaches, I'm pretty fine. Well, that's it. That's the main thing is and rats as well. You don't want any rats and whatnot. What was the food in Afghan like? It wasn't too bad because the thing is is out there they um, um, it was more the Americans it was all American food out there Yeah. so it was literally like your corn dogs and all that sort of stuff imported all frozen stuff it just reheated mm. there wasn't anything fresh I think that's the reason why we got that goat curry just because of um, they wanted we wanted something like a bit more fresh sort of thing for a change yeah. but um, yeah, the, the, the food, which is normal. It's, just, it's literally, a little, as you know, with anything in America, anywhere there's an American presence, it's literally they make it their own. So there's anything here, especially in the, the UK. If you go to American base in the UK, they're all dollars. It's all dollars. You can't use British pounds there. It's all dollars. And it's the same sort of situation out there as well. It's really strange.
1: Well, dollars is actually quite common. Uh, it's because of that, if you have a country where inflation is just up and down, you know, particularly the countries like Venezuela where, you know, you can take a $1,000 with a Venezuelan bolivar's out and then two months from now that's only worth $200. So people kind of go back to U.S. dollars because it is usually the most stable currency in the world because it's it's the petrodollar. You know, it's uh, yeah because it's the universally traded dollar, it doesn't fluctuate the way that the pound or the Australian dollar or the ruble uh, fluctuates.
0: Well, that's it, and um, it, it, as it's, it's the American, it's the international currency now, and the dollar sort of thing, so um, it wasn't too bad. We get paid in dollars, but it was when the actual the dollar to the pound ratio was actually really, really good, mm. but now it's just like completely changed sort of thing, so it's just like, oh, God, this exchange rate's mental at the minute, so I just can imagine, obviously, what's happening. But, um, yeah, the dollar, I think the, I think it was like 150 to a pound or something like that. Wow. So yes, you didn't lose too much on it, so it wasn't too bad. But beforehand, it used to be one-to-one, which is great, but that obviously it only lasted for about a month, and everyone went, yeah, this isn't going to last long. <laughs> when you get back up, yeah. You, so just kind of teasing you a little bit. Yeah, no, the, I think last time I was
1: in Britain, the Australian dollar was buying, I think it was two, two and a bit pounds to every dollar. Oh, no, no uh, two, two and a bit dollars to every pound. So, yeah. god, oh, that's ridiculous, isn't it? Oh, it's not great. The Australian dollar is fairly decent, but obviously it's uh, – yeah – yeah, it doesn't hold up too well in, in Britain, but in, uh, in Mongolia and Kyrgyzstan, it holds up very well. <laughs> I can
0: imagine, yeah. I can imagine. I don't think any sort of currency holds up well in the UK anymore, to be quite honest with you. Mm. It's ridiculous. It's like I was of a few people who were saying the same, like, even like they were from Turkey, actually, funny enough. Mm. And they were saying it's like, it's ridiculous. Going to Turkey from Britain, it's fantastic. Yeah. But obviously, Turkey coming to the UK, not all. You're basically skimmed. <laughs> you know yeah. You? It's like, and they, could, they couldn't believe how expensive it was out over here. They're like, oh, yeah, we try and get um, a hotel. And it's like they, they realize it was like £80 a night. And they're like that. You can get £80 for two weeks over in Turkey and it's that. like Easily. That's the difference, mate.
1: And like the, the most insane currency thing. Because I, I when I was in Iran, the currency is just absolutely deflated. Like I... I... You know, because the banks don't work, we kind of walked into the country with a thousand euros in our pockets um, because we couldn't get to any banks, so we just had to take all the money we needed for our, our time there. And I went to the, the the money change place with the fifty euros, and the guy looked at me and went, "We don't have that much." I went, "What do you mean?" He's like, "Oh, if I go <laughs> if I go to three exchange places, I might have enough to do fifty euros." I went, "Oh, okay." But the the big one that got me, I ended up meeting this German guy who was driving from Malaysia back to back to Germany. Uh, his car breaks, his Mercedes Benz breaks down, uh, in the, in sort of rural Iran. So he goes into the mechanics and goes, look, you know, uh, my, my car's making funny sounds. So they go, they take a look at the car and go, yep. Both shock absorbers are gone. Like you're going to need two new shock absorbers. Look, but the sanctions are in, we don't have any German parts. Come back in eight hours. So he goes and you know, explores the town, comes back in eight hours and they go, look, we, as I said, we can't get the parts, but we made you two shock absorbers out of parts we had lying around. <laughs> we've installed them. We've cleaned your car. You're ready to go. Look, they're homemade, so it will probably only last you two years, but it will easily get you back to Germany. That will be 8 American dollars, please. Holy crap. Mm. Like it was oh, – is- Iran is so – like the taxi from Imam Khomeini to Tehran is, is about an hour and 15 minutes taxi ride. And I tipped him and it was three and a half Australian dollars. So it would be, what, a quid and a half? Pound and a half? Jeez, right. Yeah. For
0: Jeez, I, live, I live literally in the UK. I live literally in the outskirts of the town. And mm. it takes about a mile to get into town to go for a night out. That cost mm. me ten quid. Yeah. go one mile. That's, we're getting robbed here, I tell you.
1: Oh, Yeah. Like you'd, I would pay for, you know, my my girlfriend's meal, my meal, two entrees, some juice, and, you know, some a nice – and at a nicer restaurant in, in Tehran. And it would be – you know, I would be lucky if I, I paid more than eight, nine Australian dollars for that. So three quid, four quid maybe. Um, you know, the the average token, uh, like a, a train ride was seven cents Australian, so it would be three and a half U.S.
0: cents effectively, or four or five U.S. cents. Jesus. God, I just it just it's just it just oh, it's infuriating sometimes, is it? It's just like, oh damn it. I need to get out of the UK, I need to go and live somewhere else. i <laughs> after this, I'm gonna go somewhere that actually go somewhere that can actually earn some decent money, sort of thing. <laughs>
1: that's the thing. The pays are pretty awful there as well. That but that's the thing, you know. It's uh oh, God. you know, you go over there, you are the richest man in town. Um but yeah, I, I don't think I want to live there at the moment. It's pretty rough. Yeah,
0: so you're, you're only the richest man in town until your money runs out. But you can't make any more because it's like your economy's so crap.
1: Yeah, that's and they're under very heavy sanctions. Um, you know, it's pretty insane the amount of sanctions they're under. Like you can't get almost anything unless it's made in Iran or Russia or China. Really, um, even China doesn't do too much business with them. So effectively, everything in there is Iranian made. Self <laughs>
0: made. Yeah, well, that's not too bad. Right. All right. Well, I think we should obviously wrap this up, sort of thing, mate, But um, where can where can uh, where, where can people find you? Uh,
1: so the Red Line is available on uh, iTunes and Spotify and, and Deezer and SoundCloud, and, you know, all the usual ones. Um, you just have to search the Red Line. We're usually the first one to pop up, and you can just check uh, check any of the episodes. We do a big deep dive with three big experts each fortnight, and it's going to be very self-contained. So you can you know click on our episode on the South Sudanese Civil War and you can go learn everything you need to know about it from the history of it to where it is today to who's in power to what likely that happened with you know, experts. Our South Sudanese Civil War, we just had a guy who works for the New York Times and Time Magazine and is the head of the Crisis Group, uh, the Nigerian Ambassador to the US and Chatham House for the three guests all giving their expert opinions on South Sudan. That's just Kind of what we do. We take a good one big subject with three big experts, and we really deep dive into it.
0: Sounds actually fantastic. I have listened to a few of them, and it's uh, very, very interesting. And uh, I learnt a lot. And um, yeah, I'll be checking the one about Sudan. That'd be fantastic as well.
1: Fantastic. Thanks so much.
0: No problem. So well, Michael. Thanks so much for joining us. And um hopefully, the COVID stuff gets better. And uh, yeah, we should uh, obviously catch up in the future and do one more of these sort of things. See, if we can. Uh, see what happened after and then uh, chew the facts. I knew we've, I guarantee we've got more stuff to chew on and chew the fat about sort of thing. So. Oh, d- <laughs> oh, definitely.
1: Really Look, any interview where I, don't, how I can actually be a little more um, relaxed about it, like I am with this one, where I can actually talk a bit more and not have to keep it just very boring facts and figures is always a pleasure for me. So very happy to come back.
0: Yeah. Nice one. Not a problem at all. Michael, thanks so much, guys. Thanks for listening. Take care. Cool.